And I'm Karen Wright. It is 9.33. We had a little break last week. Barb was under the weather, but she is back today, and we are so happy to see you're feeling a bit better. Thanks. Good to see you, Barb. It's good to be back. I have to say I don't feel 100% yet, but I had such cheering news this week. You did? That our Jamie, who is our oldest grandchild, um, had her first baby. Oh, congratulations. And they named her Lily. I love that. Just adorable. Full head of hair. Brown hair. Aw. <laughs> and now where does she, she lives in, is it Ohio? Ohio. Ohio. Cleveland. Okay, so right. you won't be seeing her probably for a little while. <coughs> June. June. Okay, well, that'll be something to really look forward to, Barb. Yes, exactly. So our daughter, Patricia, as soon as she's able and... Her mother needs her, or her daughter needs her. She's going, she's just waiting. She's just so anxious to see the baby and start helping care for the baby. Because she's down in Georgia, right? Yes, she is. Yeah, so so you've got a little traveling for the family to do, but congratulations, great-grandma. Is this your first great-grandchild? Great-great-grandchild. Great-great-great-great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah two greats. Yes, That's right. That's awesome. And for my sister, this makes her a great-auntie, you know, great-great-auntie. And um, it's, you know, the phone has just been ringing off the hook. It really has. We're all excited. It's it's like the first baby born or something. In know? the world, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, this just this last weekend, I, I'm a great aunt, too. Of, of My first great aunt experience, my nephew had uh, his son's first birthday, so we celebrated that. So, and, you know, I didn't never know that I'd be a great aunt, so yeah. that's pretty yeah. exciting. And, and, you know, you you look at this child and you see the resemblances to other family members. Right. And you think, well, how did we get here? Yeah. You know, it's just, I was um, on, um, let's see, baby was born Wednesday, I think. Wednesday or Thursday. Yesterday, maybe. I don't know. I'm confused. It's Friday, and but yeah. I was I was cooking and I thought, you know, I have to make uh, potato dumplings because this is something whenever we had a a birth or something. Oh, important. really? That's your we, tradition? That, oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, yeah. And so I was standing at the stove, and I was forming these dumplings in my hand and stuffing them with meat and putting them into boil. <clears throat> and I had the strongest sense that my mother was there. Really? And she's been gone for several years. But just uh, because we would have done that together. Right. And, and it was the most wonderful comfort of feeling that my mother taught us what traditions we have sure. in our family and that we pass these traditions on. That's really you know. great. I love that. Yeah, I do too. Well, you know, you, I this morning I gave Barbara a belated birthday present because Barbara's yes. birthday was earlier this month. And I just thought it was kind of ironic that your new great-great-granddaughter is Lily. And this morning er, I gave you a Lily yes, bulb. Yes, yes. So. I'm sure Lily's birthdays will be marked every year by <laughs> a Lily bulb. <laughs> yes, right. Yes. I think that's great. So, yeah, so speaking of Lily bulbs, I'm gonna, I have still some to plant, Barb. And, I bet. And the temperatures are getting down in the 20s. 
it'll be a little bit before the ground freezes totally hard. So right. there will still be some time. <clears throat> it won't be as pleasant putting them in, though, because it's going to be darn cold. And it's going to be wet, too. Yes. Yes, so you're going to have to be careful of that or mindful of that. But then the other thing to be mindful of is as soon as about November 15th, we can start covering up and doing a nice mulch over these things because now we're getting into the cold weather and we don't want things to freeze that deep. Well, I have been putting mulch over them after I plant them, though, to keep the moisture and stuff in. Right. But for the new things, but old things then, you mean. Right. And you, you know, like when you plant, you probably put a couple inches down. Well, now when you plant to protect the bulbs when the frost goes deep, it goes six to eight inches. So then you want about six inches of mulch easily. Wow, really? And you can start out small and just keep adding. Okay. But yeah, so so bear that in mind. And too. the other thing I think people need to get out and do is uh, protect your trees and oh, yes. because uh, and shrubs. So I'll be taking. I have used the white plastic things and I put them on the the little trunks because I've got some skinnier ones to prevent sun scald, mm-hmm. but also to prevent the little critters from chew in the bark which kills them so I'll be doing that to some of my younger trees putting the and and I've also used that there's that wrap the paper special wrap you can put to or the plastic tube things all of those things are so important to getting especially if you have something new a tree has the bark is really if you really look at that cambium layer of bark on that tree it's very very thin and even a uh, chipmunk they can, uh, or a mouse, yep. get, they can gnaw along the bottom there. So yeah, I have been thinking about, I've been working on a program that I want to do for Thanksgiving. You know, we usually do a Thanksgiving right. uh, something, and we talk about things we've grown in the garden, things that are traditional that we eat, that we grow. Right. And this year, uh, I'm going to have the emphasis more on on our native turkeys right you know they are really quite amazing and since I've been sick I'm looking out the window a lot (laughs) and I can look down into the not down into the ravine but to the ravine and then see what's going on 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 the top and and there's turkeys there and and I thought those bony little legs (laughs) on a turkey (laughs) and you'd think 10 inches or snow or so how do they survive We'll have to ask Al Bat about that. He'll, yeah. He'd... You know, I did some research, and I didn't realize in 1782 that turkey was voted on to be the national bird. Yes. And it, it lost just by one vote. To the to the eagle. To the bald eagle. That That is exactly right. In a way, I'm kind of glad <clears throat> because I think eagles are a little more majestic than the turkey. I do, but you know what? For these people that were thinking of that, I tried to get my mind around that and think, why would they want the turkey? And I'll bet it was because it was such an important source of food. Oh, right, yeah. You know, a whole turkey, you know, when you think you hunt pheasants or something like that, you can feed maybe two or three people. You get a turkey and you can eight or nine or ten people can be fed. Right. So that would have been an important food source. You know, for a while, turkeys were... Um, in they they were being overhunted and things and so there is actually a turkey conservation organization who I interviewed uh, was a year or two ago talking about how you know they're trying to preserve the turkeys and I recall when we were on the farm we had never seen turkeys but then they populated 
on purpose. I don't remember if it was the maybe the seventies where they would actually put populations of turkeys to try right. and get them started. So now you do tend to see more of them because they actually did that, took native turkeys and made sure they were out. But the co- the concern now is the avian flu is spreading around and it's due to the migration of birds. So let's hope that our uh, turkeys don't get that. Sure. You know, in the 70s, 80s, I guess it was more the 80s, when they introduced them uh, in the River Valley along Highway 68, they're going to New Ulm. And, uh, and pretty soon, we would see them in the fields well, uh, in the wintertime, and every Christmas day, we would go to um, Sleepy Eye, to the farm, to my sister-in-law's place, and when we would come around down in that valley and come around the corner, and when you'd see a plowed field on the edge of the field, there you'd catch your first glimpse of those turkeys, and they were digging in the dirt and that, and, and finding corn or soybeans that the farmer had left behind. It was it was such a beautiful thing on Christmas morning to see Mother Nature taking care of its own, and everything was so calm and so beautiful. There they would eat away. And you, we got used to seeing those turkeys, and now we kind of take them for granted. Right, because they're, they're, <clears throat> once you see something a lot, you sort of kind of... Yeah, and you know think. what's interesting about them is that they have sort of learned the ways of the cities, and they go out into traffic, and people have learned to stop from yeah, because if you hit one, they're pretty big. They can do a lot of damage. So well, I, I Yeah, and you don't want to get... I'm sure there's a fine for that. <laughs> I mean, you just can't go around hitting birds. You have to... It's like a dog or anything else. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want, no, and I noticed that the deer are really out lately, too, because it's that time of year, so i got to be really careful. That. Yeah, isn't that the truth, though? Yeah. You know, the only thing I haven't seen a lot of this fall are rabbits. Hmm. But yeah. we have squirrels. Oh, and chipmunks, and they've been... Yes, and we have we have one black squirrel that when he comes, gets in the bird feeder, he chases everything away. He's a very big isolationist. He's the king of the, the uh, bird feeder, apparently. Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. But the gray ones, they run and they chase each other, and they seem to be in competition. So that's that's pretty cool. I wanted to tell our listeners that, you know, sometimes we have these microclimates that we talk about. Right. And a microclimate just um, is an area that's uh, better than the area surrounding it. Yeah, so if it's really cold somewhere, maybe it's like at the corner, <laughs> in the tucked in a corner somewhere where it doesn't get the, the wind as much, or for some mm-hmm. reason it's, it has a little different... It's essentially a different, like, zone almost, because you can be like, we're zone four, but if a microclimate, it might be more of a zone five. It, that That's right, and that's what's true in this new border I have in front of my house. I put one celebrity tomato in this corner, and the sun warms that corner because it's on the south, right? and it's on the southwest corner, and I still had tomatoes growing, and we picked eight celebrity tomatoes nice perfectly ripe perfectly shaped and delicious well let me ask you this i've got still green tomatoes on the vine should i try and pick all those off and and or should i just throw them in the you know i don't know yeah i, I guess it's up to how much you like 
you know, a lot of people like to fry green tomatoes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, if you don't, you don't. But, I mean, you said sometimes they will ripen. How 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 do they have to have a little ripening on to actually ripen more, or what do you think? Can they be solid I, green? I, you know, it depends on the not only the color, but you can tell when they're really hard. Oh. They're almost like an egg would be, and they're not going to... They're not going to make it for you. Okay. But if you have some that are starting to soften a little bit, then you might get some color. Okay. And you, but on those, there's not a whole lot of taste. Yeah, it's kind <clears> of <throat> like the ones you buy that they ship across the country because they'll pick them maybe when they're not quite as ripe. Or uh, right. so you get them and they don't have that taste because they haven't ripened on the vine. So right, it's such a difference in the homegrown compared with the the one you buy in the store yeah, in yeah. the middle of the winter. So you can spend a lot of time uh, trying to get them to ripen, but if if that's your thing and if you have time, you know, just go for it and try Or if you it. like the green tomatoes, I guess, which I'm, <clears throat> yeah. you know, not You know, you can make green of. tomato mincemeat, which is... What's that? It would be like apple mincemeat, only you use green tomatoes. I don't know what mincemeat is, Barb, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a combination of uh, dried fruits and spices, oh. and you make mincemeat pie with it. So, like a relish almost? Or oh, no, no, it's more. It's you. It would be too heavy for that. Okay. <clears throat> you make a pie out of it. <clears throat> you traditionally see them in the bakeries around Thanksgiving. <clears throat> very. Okay. Uh, I think it's very old-fashioned. I think a lot of people used to preserve fruit by drying it, and then you reconstitute it okay. with uh, apple juice. And um, you make two crusts, and and it's my mother-in-law made the best green tomato mincemeat and the best pie. And you maybe only want a couple jars. Is that the kind of thing where it probably has a lot of sugar that makes it <laughs> better? Yeah, and and it's the um, I think it's the spices that you use because it's uh, cinnamon and old spice and some of those. Sure. You can't use too much, and you don't want to use too little either. But um, that, that's another thing you can do with tomatoes. But I would say, if it were me, get those old vines out of the garden. Old vine? The old vines of the old tomatoes. Vines. Yeah, and those you don't want to compost, right? <clears throat> right. You can just get rid of those and <clears throat> because they do carry disease. Right, and you can go to the, your local compost uh, site or what we call it the brush dump or whatever and right. take it. Because I have a lot of, I, I only had a couple tomatoes, but boy, did they produce a lot of of fruits. So I just had the two and now I'll just pull them out of my raised bed. Sure. And I've got other things, green beans and other things. Should I just pull all of that out? I think so. Um, How about my Brussels sprouts? How long should I leave those in? Because they're still forming little heads. You know, and they taste delicious. After they they get cold, right? Yeah, they can tolerate that cold weather. So I wouldn't be so quick to get rid of those. I would hang on to them. But um, anything that has a tendency more to to get any kind of a disease, I would get that out. Now, green beans, we have had um, the flat green beans, and they are still producing. I would say probably tonight will kill everything off. So that's what I was wondering. After your green beans are killed off, because I've got these climbing ones, and, and they have a lot of, they have a lot of um, beans on them that I'm probably not going to use. Could I just Pull those off now and let them dry, and maybe have like dried beans. Would yeah, that work? Yeah, you, can, you okay. can. If they're if they're mature enough. Yeah. Okay, I might right. do that because I've never. You should try it. Done that, and it'll uh, be interesting to to see how they are. Right. Uh, people used to cut the vine and then hang it up. 
Oh. You know, like... Um, in a garage or something? A garage, or we used our, our granary and hung vines up in there. And then as they dried, we brought the um, pods in, shucked them, and my mother would make bean soup and okay, baked yeah. beans and, you know, whatever. This will be a new adventure for me because I've actually never done that, but I've got a lot of these beans because I had the, I got, I can't remember which kind it was, but they grew over eight feet tall. I had these really right. tall uh uh, tre- trellis trellis things and so mm. they got up there and they vined around and I've just and they they hang down and I'm like I don't know what I'm going to do with all these so well you know and the beauty about the the bean plant is it's a legume and it's been fixing nitrogen in the soil so well, if do I throw all those vines away though you what do I throw the vines away uh, uh well Green. I would compost them as long as there's no disease oh on okay them. I can. But I would cut them off in the ground and leave that root okay. in the ground because in all those nodules and all that that's, that's where okay. all your nitrogen is at because I've got the peas I have I haven't cu- taken those roots out either I should yeah. just leave those as well yeah yeah okay exactly now I started this spring with um, new raised beds so in the bottom I had put a lot of straw so they have sunk significantly because I put dirt on top of the straw and that's composted down so now I'm going to need to add probably uh, about maybe six to eight inches more of soil should I do that now or wait till spring uh, if you have time get it done now then you'll be ready in the spring that's true, yeah. to get going so and um, if you've been making compost you know um, dump as much as you can in your raised beds and, and then start another compost pile and you this winter you'd probably get another batch so that would be good the other thing we're going to be doing after probably this weekend because things are going to freeze off is start to dig up our dahlia bulbs or are they tubers dahlias are they're tubers tubers and my elephant ear i think they're bulbs uh, yes they and, are and huge yeah they're huge so i mean that's going to be something else i've got going on i'll cut off the the tops and then i will dig those up and I have not had good luck, Barb, in putting them in the basement. They have always got too dried up, and mm. they don't survive. So I need to do something different. You know, it's so interesting. You gave me two, and um, and I didn't do anything special for them except to keep them in the basement, wrapped them in newspaper. And, you know, um, they just came through the winter. That was Mine last. all dried up. Yeah. And I gave one to my neighbor. And I gave one to someone else. I I just didn't have room for them, and uh, so they did amazingly well. They are, for all the bulbs, they are really tough. And, and now a dahlia, for me, that's a hard one to keep over. Well, that's yeah, that's that's the my elephant ears actually. I had those; those were fine. But the the dahlias, I had trouble with. Yeah. Harvey seems to be able to do it, and I I'll have to ask him his secret. I guess. Oh, he is he absolutely has it down to a science. You know what else we got that was new this week? What? David was in a building mode, and he decided to uh, take down the coal frame because the top which had the window in it, which you open and close like a door, um, it was starting to rot. So he took it all apart, built a new one, and the old one was three by three, and this one is three by five. So it's two feet longer. You should let people know what a cold frame is, so if somebody's listening, say, what is she talking about? Oh, gosh. You know, if you see them in um, in a yard or in the garden, usually that's where we put them out. They actually are just a, a little um, slanted roof, um, 
small building made out of wood. And what you do is you look for somebody's old window. Right. And um, and you hinge that, build a frame around that, and put it at an angle so it catches the rays of the sun. That's really important. Don't plant it. Don't put it under a tree or any place where it's going to be shaded all day long. Try and get as much sun as possible. And, and it basically takes the sun and keeps things warm for longer so you can actually yes. plant your crops early or, or they'll last longer. Are you using it to extend the life of some of your gardening things? I, I You know, every once in a while you get these uh, with your perennials, flowers that um, the perennial itself adds another one. And you just don't have time to find another spot in that. Well, you can put that in a cold frame. And uh, the cold frame, when you, uh, when you build it, you're going to allow for really good soil. This is going to be your like perfect, perfect soil in there. It's going to be well balanced. You're going to amend it so that you got N, P, and K, and you got lots of compost material in there. And I always add gypsum to mine too. And uh, and then that's all set. It's a bed. It's just waiting there. And you water in these new plants that have started. Put them in there. And they'll have a better chance of surviving the winter because it'll be warmer and there'll be a better environment for them than sitting out on the ground by the mother plant. The only thing about them is, is really, unless they're they're limited in space because you, there's only so big of a space you can have for a window to make a cold frame, right? Unless you have your own greenhouse, but so it, but it is nice, like you said, to protect some of those important, maybe extra right. important plants. And you know, it's more important to me than the greenhouse because it has it's it stays warm it stays warmer than the greenhouse does the greenhouse you got massive window space and so it heats up to 80 in the daytime but it, it just drops down to nothing at night and you have like a, a cement or a block floor in there so that heat it's hard i've tried to store make sure that I've got heat going into those blocks all day long. It doesn't, we don't have enough heat units to really warm up to save sure. like that. Whereas with a coal frame, with the sun coming down all day long, radiating into the ground, that heat goes deeper. The soil is much warmer. Say, there's something I want to let people know about this weekend, and I am really excited about it. It is there's going to be a speaker about everything you want to know about America's most popular perennial. And what do you think that is, Barb? It's the hosta. Yep, and that is part of the Minnesota Hosta Society is holding <clears throat> its general meeting for fall this weekend from at 2 o'clock in the Bachmans, and that is the Heritage Room up in um, Minneapolis, which is off... Uh, what is it? France. Lind yeah, Lindale Avenue area. And so if you want to go, it's a free thing. Go, and the speaker is going to be great. It's Rob Mortko, who is an expert. Everything you want to know about America's most popular perennials. So he'll talk about slugs. He'll talk about new varieties. He'll talk about virus X and all those things you want to know about. But um, I know you won't be going because you're, you're right. You need to. You know, I had this on my calendar. I had it circled in red so I wouldn't miss Aww. it. But I won't be going. But let me tell you something. The uh, Hosta Society, it is a, such a great 
organization of people. They will make you feel welcome. And you can join the society for $10. That's for a two-year membership. Can you imagine that, $10? Well, that's yeah, the Lily Society is just as... as uh... they're, they're both absolutely great. I mean, it's wonderful that something that brings in such great speakers provides advice all the time, anytime. Well, and the newsletters are, I mean, just getting the newsletter alone, they have such great articles and they things. They do, great pictures, yes. Both the Lilla Society and the Hill Society. And then, you know, the other cool thing is you get to shop early because a lot of people are looking for specific hostas, collectors, that kind of thing. Sure. And you get a chance to shop early. They have member plants that nobody else can get. And so those are all kind of a little bonus, especially if you're kind of a diehard garden like gardener like we are. But yeah, so I'll be there. I'm going to be going because uh, I'm I now I'm on that board, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and that's great. So, I mean, that's that's great opportunity for you to go and bring home new information for us. I was also going to say the thing that I found when I joined was that I could bring a hosta leaf with me and show it to someone and say. What do you think yes. this is? I probably had this for 25 or 30 years and can't find it any place. And they would know. Yeah. Yeah, that's the cool thing. Or, or if you have one you're concerned about being diseased or something, they could look at that or talk about how you can test them for yeah. things like virus X. Things that, I mean, you probably are thinking, what are you even talking about? Well, once you uh, start getting into it, then you'll learn more. And the Minnesota Hosta Society is easy to find. Go to mnhosta.org. So um, you can check it all out and all the events. And like I said, the, the the newest thing is this weekend is the uh, general fall general meeting, and it starts at two o'clock at Bachman's, and that's on Lindale Avenue up in the Twin Cities. And the great great speaker, everything you want to know about America's most popular perennial, which is the hosta, free, open to the public, no admission. So good sure. deal. Yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah, we're absolutely. And Barb, I want to thank you for coming in, and I hope you go home and you rest and you uh, feel better. I'm going to go back to bed again and. Um, I'm, I'm dreaming about uh, gardening. I know you are, and also happy, great, uh, congratulations to you, great, great grandma. Thank you so much. It's just a thrill. I can't tell you what a thrill it is. And now you got to go home and plant a, a bulb that I get a lily bulb. I will I'll named get after the, your great great granddaughter. That's <laughs> lily. right. I will. Yeah. Right. That. That's. It's nice to mark these occasions with a plant, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's pink, so that's a pretty good. Oh, my favorite color. Yeah. Thanks, Barb. Thank that's you, Karen. All right. It is.